So we'll acknowledge the obvious before we start. The children's room is right here. So if you hear any loud noises, any balls hit the wall, there's nothing tragic happening. We have excellent children's workers. But right now, I actually hear a child crying, which those of you that know me, I can't handle crying. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm that freak mother that my kid cries and I can't handle it. My nerves are on edge. And so I'm, let's just pray for that child <laughs> right now. I'm joking. <laughs> but it does, it will, it will make me pause and listen like, oh, is that kid okay? Are they hurt? Are they? Um, who, who was here last week? <laughs> Let's see. One, two, three. Okay, three. No, I'm just joking. Uh, no, the reason I ask is because we're actually doing a series on prayer. And it's always very interesting, like, when you do one message and you kind of like walk through scripturally and then you're going to move on. And for those of you that know me, I'm pretty like systematic. Like I like things. I'm the kind of person that when somebody walks in the door at the end of my message, I feel the urge to go back to point one and make sure they get it all. <laughs> so anyway, it's good to know who is here because I actually think what I'm going to do for those of you that were here last week, I'm just going to do like a five minute recap. So you're going to Five minutes. He's going he's gonna to hold me to it right there. He, I saw Noah. Noah's like five. Okay, I'm going to keep you to five minutes. <laughs> yeah, Bethany's five. <laughs> the amplified version. <laughs> so, but who knows what today is, what we're celebrating here. Actually, not just here, across the world, really, is Pentecost Sunday. And for those of you that weren't here last week, we actually spent a bulk of our time last week's message in the book of Acts. And the reason that we did is last week, what we talked about is the, the church, their identity as the house of prayer. And so we actually started way back in the Old Testament, and this is where my urge right here, for those of you that aren't familiar with Old Testament, as far as the origins of night and day worship and prayer, that it's not something that we just invented in this generation with awesome IHOP in Kansas City, but actually King David, Tabernacle of David, that that's actually the origin of night and day worship and prayer. And then after King David, there was actually seven subsequent times that night and day worship and prayer was reinstituted just in the Old Testament. The Old Testament alone. And if you actually, I'm not going to, last week we kind of went through all the references of those people. We don't have time to do that right now, but if you look at them actually closely, what you actually see is that the country, the nation at that time, that when prayer was reinstituted and it was put as the central place, them understanding that their vocation and their identity before the Lord was to live in fellowship and communion and be restored to that place, that it altered everything. It altered the issue of when they went to battle, the favor of the Lord resting upon them. It altered their economics. Basically, what it would do is bring them into right relationship with God the Father and bring restored favor and blessing. So we looked at the Old Testament, then we actually looked at the New Testament, and that's what brings us today, Book of Acts, as far as the day of Pentecost. How many of you guys have really, really, really taken a good amount of time to look at the Book of Acts? I'm going to say for every single person in this place, the New Testament church, it is really important that we look at the Book of Acts, because oftentimes we have a tendency to do something where we want to see the Lord birth something new. Somehow we think that the church is going to take on a new face or identity or there's going to be a new movement that's birthed in the earth that's going to look somehow different or we all angst to see revival. So we kind of come up with ways and, and models and mechanisms of how we might see that come to pass in our generation. And the extraordinary thing is we actually have 
in the Bible, of all places, laid out before us the New Testament church living in revival. So what we're all praying for and longing for and angsting for and building organizations and ministries and structures and movements to try to create, and then somehow we all stand back and go, what? Wasn't quite it. Didn't turn the city upside down. Didn't see 5,000 added in one day. Oops. Book of Acts. (laughs) The extraordinary thing is actually what we talked about last week at great length because we tied it in with Luke 18, the parable in Luke 18, is this understanding that they were commanded to go and tarry in the upper room and wait there until the Holy Spirit came. And oftentimes, we as New Testament believers, we're waiting for the unction of the Holy Spirit. We're waiting for some kind of a supernatural anointing or impartation or divine grace upon our life to enter into the place of prayer. And what we find with these, these believers in the book of Acts is it wasn't, they did not have a divine unction to go to the place of prayer. They were obeying a command that came from Jesus. Go and wait there until you are endued with power from on high. So from the place of prayer, and this is kind of where we're going today, from the place of prayer, we actually find the book of Acts, day of Pentecost, that we all reference, that we all know, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the tongues of fire resting upon their head. And then we find Peter preaches, 3,000 are saved in one day. And this is the extraordinary thing about the book of Acts. They didn't then go on to build structures and ministries and models. They actually went back to the place of prayer. It's extraordinary when you find the rhythm and the culture of the book of Acts. When you actually find, we actually looked last week. So you actually find, I'm going to break it down for you really quickly. And I'm probably at the end of my five minutes. (laughs) But here you go. So in verse, um, chapter 1, verse 4 is where Jesus gave the command to go and to tarry there. And in two, uh, chapter 2, verse 2, this is what we find. And suddenly there came a rushy, rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were seating. Verse 3, then, they were, th- then there appeared upon them tongues of fire resting upon their heads, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in new tongues. So this is actually where we find Peter, verse 14. He preaches his first sermon. We find that the kingdom of God explodes in this city. How many of you guys would love to see this? 3,000 added in a day. We find that they repent. We actually find Peter's second sermon. So Peter preaches again. We find after Peter's second sermon, how do you guys know the first persecution in chapter 4? They go to prison. They're taken into prison and they're questioned. After, we actually find here, after they leave prison, if you look in chapter 4, verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Verse 24, so when they heard that they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that live in them. So we actually find that they gathered again with a body of believers, and they're lifting up their voice before God. They're exalting who he is, and then they make a request at the end. And when they, uh, oh, sorry, let me finish it here. 29, now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. So this is actually the second. We're only into chapter 4 here in the book of Acts. And we find the second outpouring of the Holy Spirit. How many of you guys know that many, many moves of God, we've actually seen and watched the trends throughout the body of Christ. Oftentimes when there's a measure of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we kind of go on to then build structures and organizations, and we almost depart that place of prayer, that place of continual fellowship and communion and the continual infilling of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say to you right now, if there's any group or body of believers of people that devalue the place of prayer, they do not understand the book of Acts. If they say that somehow we're in a generation that we have all the fullness and it's all, you know, you guys know the lingo. You guys hear it just like I do. This is book of Acts. This was after Jesus died on the cross, rose again, the Holy Spirit came, and you actually find this is a body of believers that never departed from the place of prayer and the breaking of bread. If they themselves, who saw 3,000 added in a day, if we see the New Testament church birth, if they themselves did not depart from the place of prayer, How much more should we be people that live in that constant place of fellowship and communion and never departing from the place of prayer? But oftentimes, somehow we think, well, I've been endued with power. I have opened heavens, all the favor. Well, how come when you say boo on the streets of Cambridge, 3,000 are not added in a day? So until you get there, (laughs) maybe we should really see an upper room company of people But then even once we see that, model the book of Acts and remain in that posture of communion and fellowship with the Spirit of God. So, and basically, we did a lot more in depth and we discussed it further, but um, Luke 18 is really where we finished off last week. Um, The parable of the unjust judge and the widow that basically would come before him and the charge that was given in verse 1 is pray always and never lose heart. The understanding that we are charged, pray always and never lose heart. Oftentimes when there's delay and when we do not see the fulfillment of the promise, like look at Peter. After persecution, he runs back to the place of prayer. How many of us get disillusioned in despair and in discouragement? Maybe God didn't really speak to me. Maybe that wasn't really. But instead, if you will bind your heart to the place of prayer, even when there is discouragement, even when there is hardship, if you find actually this widow in Luke 18, it actually says that there was an adversary that was coming against her. There was an adversary that was basically persecuting her and causing difficulty and hardship. You know what that says about the widow? Her circumstances were not perfect. They were not ideal. She was in hardship and difficulty, and there was an adversary pursuing her. How many of you feel like sometimes you have an adversary pursuing you. Guess what? It is not an excuse to depart from the place of prayer. It doesn't give you a a go-card to have a pity party and somehow wait for the Spirit of God to break in. We find the model in Scripture is sowing and reaping. If you're longing for a place of breakthrough in your spirit, it means sow to the place of the Spirit. Even if you don't have the strength, even if you feel like you're weak and you're tired, just position yourself there. Just position yourself there. Don't move from that place. I guarantee when you position yourself in the place of prayer, one of two things that happen. Either your emotional makeup is going to change. You're going you're gonna to feel it. It's going to, and mark my words, <laughs> you can't tell me any different. 
I started praying and fasting, like giving my life to prayer and fasting when I was 16. God help us, I'm now 36. <laughs> 20 years in, I can honestly tell you there has never been a time when I have brought myself before the presence of God, not with the attitude of, this isn't working, you're not here for me, I can't stand this, but with the attitude of saying, I'm here, I'm dry, I'm barren, I'm confused, I haven't heard you speak, but I'm positioning myself right here. And I am not moving until I feel your presence upon my heart. I'm sorry to tell you, I am not God's favorite. Circumstances are not different for Bethany Temple than they are for you. I have just as many devils that I have to come up against of discouragement and hardship. Welcome to the city of Cambridge when you're 26 years old or ever, however old I was, all alone with no money and homeless. <laughs> You'll hear the story later. But you know what it is? It's the refusal to move from the place of prayer. Because either your emotional makeup will change. There's going to be something that breaks on the inside of you to say, oh, I can see clearly now. Oh, all of a sudden the clouds have scattered and I see the light. Even if your circumstance hasn't changed, your perspective is going to change. Or something of, uh, in the realm of reality of circumstances will change and shift. One of two things will happen. And mark my words, one of two things will happen if you really posture your heart in that place before the Lord. So we find this, uh, this widow coming before the unjust judge. And the charge that's given when Jesus gives the parable on prayer is pray always and never lose heart. That's the charge to each and every single one of us. I'm going to tell you, when you start to depart from the place of prayer, you depart from the will of God. I'm sorry if that sounds religious to you. It's absolutely not. Because the place of prayer, okay, let's put it this way. Prayer is relationship and communication with God. How can your heart be inclined to hear and respond to the will of God if you're not positioning yourself to hear it? It's, it's, the, it's the primary tool he's given us. Even if you don't hear the, hey, 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 right here. There's lots of times that I don't hear the audible voice of God breaking in. But you know what you can do is once you know you've quieted yourself, you've laid out all the options, all the emotional drama, all the turmoil, once you know you've put it there and said, God, this is where I'm at, and this is the decision that I feel in my heart, unless you speak otherwise, here I go, <laughs> When you know that you've laid it before the Lord and you've weighed it in his presence, you can then with confidence know that he will speak to you or apprehend you or send another voice. You know what it is? It's because you're inclining your ear to hear. And you know what? God does not want to withhold his will from you. So anybody in this room that thinks otherwise, that somehow the will of God is hard to find, do you know he wants you to know his will even more than you desire it? He desires it more than you do. He's not playing like a game with you of hide and seek. You can with confidence say, if I am seeking the will of God and that's what I desire, you will find it. He will make it manifest to you. You will run right into it. So we covered the, and then basically after that, we actually walked through, which we don't have time today either, but the history of night and day prayer throughout the earth and really what was born out of these companies of people that gave themselves to the place of night and day prayer. Basically missionary movements. How many of you guys have ever heard of the Moravians? 100-year prayer meeting. We looked at another group of people. A 300-year prayer meeting did not cease. And as far as the fruit of that, we in New England are the fruit of the Moravians' prayer meeting. 
They sent missionaries to the nations of the earth, and it was actually George Whitfield that encountered a Moravian on a, on a boat. And he was so inspired and provoked by their faith and by the fire of God upon their lives, it's actually what set him in motion seeking God. So can you imagine the, the glorious historic well of revival history even here is the fruit of people from Herrenhut, Germany, that it wasn't even a glorious, I mean, we have amazing worship here, and we happen to be blessed with amazing worship leaders at the House of Prayer. But Herrenhut, Germany, I went to their watchtower, two by two, just two people, two people. No live worship, no like Daryl's voice thundering throughout, making it super easy to pray. I can pray anytime when my husband sings. <laughs> Just get him at a prayer meeting. I could pray for hours. <laughs> two by two, they made a commitment. Two people praying every hour, and that went on for 100 years. So we fast forward. Here we are. I'm going to give you guys, and most of you, well, actually not most of you, some of you have heard some of our prophetic history. But when we're talking about the place of prayer, the reason as in Cambridge, we are here, Hilltop Church. For any of you that don't know, Hilltop Church was born out of a praying community. We actually never intended to start a church. It wasn't like part of our 10-year plan. It wasn't anywhere on there, actually. It was probably the last thing <laughs> we wanted to do. But basically what happened, and this is what I want to encourage all of you with today, 1 Timothy 1.18. How many of you guys are familiar with 1 Timothy 1.18? This charge I commit to you, Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage a good warfare. Say, wage a good warfare. That would indicate that there is a warfare, right? <laughs> and what is he saying? By what do you wage a good warfare? The prophecies previously concerning you. There were prophecies over Timothy's life. And what Paul was charging him is that by these prophecies, wage a good warfare. How many of you guys have ever had a prophetic word over your life? Lots of you. Okay, so now how many of you, it's not necessarily a prophet calling you out saying, thus saith the Lord, I see you. But some of you have actually had almost like a dream in your spirit. I mean, that couldn't look like anything. That could be a dream to be a ballerina. That could be a dream to be the next Billy Graham. That could be a dream to have some kind of a scientific breakthrough, some kind of a medical breakthrough, anything like that. I want to strongly encourage you, listen to the dreams of your heart. Pay attention to the things that you have faith concerning, the things that excite you, the, things, the kind of things that when you start thinking about them, they could keep you awake at night. You know, those things that make your mind kind of race and wander with creativity. There's creative power when God has placed vision inside of you concerning something. Also, pay attention to your tears. How many of you guys know there's certain things that will provoke me to tears that may not provoke my husband to tears, but it's because I have passion concerning that. There's things that provoke my husband to tears that don't provoke me to tears, but it's because there's passion concerning that. Pay attention to your tears because it's an indication of passion that the Lord's placed inside of you. So what I'm going to do today, we're probably not going to make it all the way through because our prophetic history is very long, very in-depth, and very prophetic. <laughs> but what I want to do for each and every single one of you is I want to give you a little picture of the seed of prayer, what comes forth from the seed of prayer, but understanding what it is to wage a good warfare with prophecy concerning you and to give you faith for your individual life. For those of you that don't know, so Hilltop Church, we actually came to this building 
uh, last September. We've only, we haven't even been here gathering in this meeting spot for a year. Um, it was in September that we started meeting here. We actually were kind of basically doing like a home kind of um, Bible study kind of in the living room of the Justice House of Prayer. And that had just started a year prior to that. Basically, when Lou Engel, for those of you that don't know, Lou Engel is the, really the founder of the Justice House of Prayer. He had come to do a conference with us called Antioch Again. And so we decided at this conference, we didn't even make it public. Just, to, I mean, those of you that were there remember, it was nothing we announced at Antioch Again. We didn't say, come join our home fellowship. It's going to kind of look like a church, but we're not calling it a church. <laughs> that was kind of the posture we were taking. We just kind of, the people that were a part of our praying community that we knew needed discipleship and needed a, a church body, we said, we're going to start meeting on Sundays at four. And if you need discipleship and you want to grow in the word, come at four. So as those of you that were a part know, very quickly, we really outgrew that living room. It was very awkward and uncomfortable. We all joke about Steve Ruberal <laughs> trying to lift his hand in the midst of, <laughs> midst of the assembly, <laughs> all crammed together like our sardines. We had people start coming with children, and we would say, oh, no, no, we're actually not a church, and we don't have children's ministry. <laughs> you might want to find a real church, because that's not us. But basically, we basically had to identify, okay, obviously God is doing something amongst us as a community. So we decided to rent this ballroom, and like I said, um, as of September, it'll be a year. But that house of prayer there in Cambridge, um, basically what that was born out of is, first and foremost, for those of you that don't know, anybody ever read the book The Light and the Glory? Light and the Glory by Peter Marshall, Peter Marshall, David Manuel. Highly, highly recommend it as far as praying for our country. So when I was in high school, I was 16. I had the privilege of going to an awesome, amazing private Christian high school. One of the courses that I took, actually, I, that was required reading. And in it, you learn the Christian history of our nation. And so there was two things that really marked me at that time. Governor Winthrop, who, um, he was the second governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, but he was aboard the Arabella coming over to the New World. And when he was aboard the Arabella, he wrote something called A Model for Christian Char Charity. Highly encourage you to look up the document. But as I was reading the document, it's where he set forth what he felt like God gave him that Boston was to be. The founding of this new world. You know, they're starting over. Clean slate. Anything is possible. And so he writes out the model for Christian charity. And in it, he quotes Matthew 5.14. And he basically says that he feels as though Boston is to be a city set upon a hill and a light to all nations. He's declaring that. There's a lot more, actually, in the model for Christian charity. But as he was declaring it, he also said that if we deal rightly with our God, that literally every succeeding plantation from him, from here, will say, make it like that of New England. But he also said if we deal falsely with our God, that every succeeding plantation and the nations of the earth will actually say that we've become a byword. That's scary. He's actually quoting Malachi and Joel and... <laughs> A bunch of scripture. But anyway, so Governor Winthrop, as I read Governor Winthrop, it also spoke a lot about William Bradford. For those of you that know, um, William Bradford also was one of the governors, but he was specifically at the Plymouth Plantation. And William ba Bradford, we don't have time to read it today, but he's actually the one that talked about from one small candle that a thousand can be lit. He was talking about the influence of what God was going to bring out of Plymouth. But with that also, as I began reading the Christian history, as I'm 16 years old, I started reading going, God had a dream for New England. It wasn't man's idea. 
God had divinely inspired men with a vision of what New England would be. And primarily the vision was that it would be a light to the nations of the earth and a stepping stone for the gospel to go to all the earth. That's insane. Can you imagine starting a new country with that being like your mission statement? Stepping stone for the gospel to the nations of the earth. Well, there you go. Got that. <laughs> I, I remember being 16. Before that, you know, I think I wanted to be a Christian psychologist or I don't even know what the heck I wanted to be. But I remember reading it and thinking, I just want to see God's dream for Boston come to pass. That's all I want. Because if he had a dream in his heart, it's still there. And then I began, I, I got the privilege of taking time to do a revival history course and began to st study the revival history of the Massachusetts area. Extraordinary. So it was around this time that I really started being awakened to Jonathan Edwards. How many of you guys are familiar with Jonathan Edwards? He wrote a document called A Humble Attempt. I highly recommend that you read it. Basically what he was saying in A Humble Attempt is that he said that he saw that from this New England area would come an extraordinary move of prayer, say it, prayer, an extraordinary move of prayer that would bring the gospel to the earth in one generation. Powerful, says Jonathan Edwards. I'm reading these things saying these men had words from God, words that have not yet come to pass. All that's needed is for a group of young men and young women to grab a hold of these words and say, do it now, Lord, do it here. So I began reading all of these prophetic promises and began dreaming, really, for New England. I'm going to be really honest with you. Wanted to go to college more for the side that it appealed to my intellect. It looked like I'd be doing something significant. But the Lord continually said to me, give yourself to the place of prayer. Give yourself to the place of prayer. I mean, I just had to perpetually <laughs> humble myself, give myself to the place of prayer. And it's really what I did. I aligned my entire life. God blessed me with awesome jobs where I only had to work three days a week but still had full medical, full uh, benefits. It was just amazing so I could give the other days to prayer and fasting. Long story short, in 2000, I don't know how many of you guys were around for it then, in 2000 there was an assembly um, on the Washington Mall called The Call. So long story short, I did not know Lewingle at that time, but when I had heard that he was trying to gather youth and young adults on the Washington Mall to pray and fast for our nation, because I already, like I said, was praying and fasting, I remember hearing about it and thinking, that assembly has to happen. Because it was more like a possibility at the time, like Dutch Sheets had actually said it, Lou Engel's going to try, and it'll take a miracle. And I did my first 40-day fast. I was like, God, we need a galvanizing voice in America. We need something to turn our nation and the heart of the church back to you. So I did my first 40-day fast through weird, crazy circumstances I won't bore you with. Ended up getting connected and developing a relationship with Lou, being very involved with that call. But fast forward, the next year, 2001, where do you think the next call happened? New England, here in Boston. So we did the call DC, prayed and fast for the nation. There were 400,000 people there. Did the call Boston. This is a miracle in and of itself. The Parks and Recreation Committee said that there was over 40,000 people at the call New England. Hello, New England. We had zero time really to mobilize, but on top of that, it was right after 9-11. 9-11, remember they actually flew out of Boston, <laughs> the people? All the craziness that happened with all of that and the threats that happened here in Boston, over 40,000 people gathered. 
And what that was in 2001, that what the Lord put on Lou's heart to gather people to pray and fast was number one, redig the wells of revival. We spent 12 hours at that call trumpeting the revival history of New England, and that's what the Lord desires to do again. Two, addressing the issue of college campuses. This was in 2001, that the Lord desires and his eye is upon college campuses to bring revival and awakening. Sam Brownback, don't know how many of you guys are familiar with Sam Brownback. It was actually at that time that he called Lou and he said, Lou, there is no one targeting false ideologies through massive prayer and fasting. False ideologies, you know what, that's a whole nother can of worms. I will not go into that today, but Think about that. Just think about that. Because that word is really still relevant today as far as our nation and where we are in the issue of false ideologies. The other thing, too, that we took time to pray into that day was the student volunteer missions movement. I'm going to give it to you five seconds here. Adonai and Judson was the first missionary that was ever sent from America. So if you want to know missionary history, Adonai and Judson went to Burma, India. Let's put it this way. Governor Winthrop, Governor Bradford, having a vision of missionaries going to the nations of the earth, Adonai and Jetson was a fulfillment of what they saw in their spirit at the founding of our country. So Adonai and Jetson, there's a little town actually called Bradford, Massachusetts. For those of you that don't know and maybe have heard a little bit about missionary history, yes, he sailed from the Salem Wharf. Salem, Massachusetts is actually where he sailed from. But Bradford, Massachusetts is where the first board for foreign missions in America was formed. The first monies were gathered. But Adonira Judson, he married somebody named Anne Hazeltine. Anybody heard of Anne Hazeltine? They married, they went to Burma, India. So this story basically, Lou, from this, there was the subsequent student volunteer missions movement that actually was birthed out of Bradford slash Salem, uh, Massachusetts. Then a hundred Years later, there's a guy out of California. We'll get to that later because it's later on in the story. So this is what we actually target the day of the call. The day of the call, one of the segments that I have, which was at the time, I didn't think it was stellar, but now, <laughs> now I'm like, you know what? It lines up so much with what the Lord's called us to labor for in the Boston area. One of the segments that I had for the call was actually the, the historical piece of Jonathan Edwards his, his document of a humble attempt and praying that we as a younger generation would actually see the fulfillment of Jonathan Edwards' uh, word that he spoke, which what was his word? It was that there'd be an extraordinary move of prayer that would bring the gospel to the nations of the earth. So that was actually the piece during the call New England. So then after the call New England happens, basically what happens is I, I know that I know that I know that I know I have to stay here in New England, but there's really not a lot going on <laughs> at that time. Not a lot of things to be a part of. So it was actually during that time that Lou was gathering a group of people out in Pasadena where he was living at the time. And I'm gonna just say this to encourage people's hearts that there's those of you here that your heart in a way has felt bound to New England. That it's almost as if even if you'd like to pack up and go to KC, go someplace else, there's a place where you actually feel as though the Lord has bound you to a geographical location. And that's you, friend. <laughs> I see several people like, yep, tried to get out of here. I want to encourage your heart that when you stay in that slow, it does feel slow, <laughs> slow, steady burn, even when you don't understand it, 
This is what I'm going to say. I stayed even when I saw, I mean, there were several gatherings happening. Schools started. Things erupting different places. And I just continually felt like the Lord called me to stay in New England. It was during that time. It was after the call. All of this was kind of brewing as far as student volunteer missions. All of this stuff. There was a college in Bradford, Massachusetts. Um, anybody that's been with us any amount of time has been there with us. It was a college that had become a liberal arts school. This liberal, liberal arts school, I actually didn't know the history of it prior, but it had been abandoned. It was basically up for sale. It was completely, can you imagine an entire, it's a gorgeous college campus in Bradford. It's, it's the town that we now live in next door to it is Haverhill. Beautiful college campus. And so as we're driving by it one day, I, I have the thought, I'm thinking, oh, you know, we just have, we've been praying all these things about another place for a student volunteer missions movement. I wonder if the Lord would want to use a campus like that. I never stepped foot on the campus before in my life. I start having dreams about it. I start really, in my dreams, visually seeing rooms on the campus. I start having a dream that it was originally an all-girls school. So I'm like, I should start looking into the history of this college. I look into the history of the college in Bradford, Massachusetts, and it's literally the, the all-girls school that Anne Hazeltine went to. It was the school that Anne Hazeltine went to. When you actually go on the campus, one of the, the buildings is called Hazeltine Hall. It's named after her because it was an all-girls school. It's actually the school where Anne Hazeltine's father was on the board, and he's the man that started the first board for foreign missions that actually commissioned Anne Hazeltine and Adoniram Judson. This is this college campus. So I start thinking, wow, it's abandoned? And it's like literally the whole well for foreign missions and missionary sending and Anne Hazeltine and Adonai Judson. And I'm thinking, I'm like, what is the Lord going to do? Me and a group of people literally start prayer walking this campus like two to three times a week. Just praying, kind of going, okay, God, what, what do you want to do to restore but also preserve this well for foreign missions? During this whole period of time, we're kind of prayer walking it, studying it, wondering what the Lord's going to do. I make a trip. This is, this is actually crazy. I make a trip to Pasadena, California for a uh, gathering that Lou's doing. And some of you have seen the picture of Lou and I. It's frightening, the tears, and I look like an absolute wreck and mess. I step on to, in Pasadena, there's a campus called Mott Auditorium. When I step onto my auditorium, right in front of me is a massive building, and there's a man's face. Don't know who the man is. Never seen the man before in my life. I literally, I'm sorry if you're not charismatic, I go into, like, travail. I, like, start bawling and weeping and shaking, and I'm just, like, absolutely manifesting right here. And Lou's going, you know John Armand? And, you know, Therese is going, do you have a history, like, with John Armand? Do you... And I'm thinking they're saying John R. Not. Anybody familiar with the Toronto Airport Vineyard revival that happened in Canada? I'm like, John R. Not? I'm like, no, I don't, you know. As I'm like manifesting like a crazy woman, Therese, this is before the day of the iPhone, she pops out a disposable camera. She's like, we gotta take a picture. Something's happening here. Tears, right? They're a window. <laughs> so they take a picture. I'm all red faced, snotty. If you see it, it's like hilarious. Lou is smiling, really happy, thinks this is great. So I'm still like, who is John Armott? And why am I acting like a crazy person seeing his face? I come back, continue my study of Bradford College, feeling like the Lord really wants to do something on this campus, and he's going to do something to fulfill the dreams of our founding fathers of a land of revival and missionary sending. 
I'm sitting in a coffee shop with my friend, and I have my history book of Bradford College open. She has her history book of Bradford College open. As I look into her history book, upside down, I see the name that says, mind you, it's a history book of Bradford College, John R. Mott. I'm like, John R. Mott? That guy's in California. She's like, who's John R. Not? She says John R. Not too. She's like, what's going on with John R. Not? And I was like, no, Mott, Mott, give it to me. I grab her book, and I read in it, and this is exactly what it says. It says, John R. Mott, who was from California, who founded the Student Volunteer Missions Movement, he came to Bradford, Massachusetts. The reason he came there is because he knew that's where Adoniram Judson was sent from, and it gives the speech that he gave. He gives this speech, and basically what he says is, a hundred years ago, there were missionaries that had dreams. They had dreams to see the world evangelized, and their dreams were not fulfilled. And you know, he looks at the congregation of people, and he says, if you're wondering what is the God's call upon your life in this generation, the call upon your life is to fulfill the dreams of those fathers that were not yet realized. It is our call to pick up those dreams and to see them realized. And the watchword for John Armott and, and the Student Volunteer Missions Movement actually became the evangelization of the world in one generation. That's a pretty hefty tagline or slogan or something. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Hilltop Church, the evangelization of the world in one generation. And now, mind you, we all have like the internet and all of those kind of things now where you can very easily access the nations of the world. This is 1806. 1806? 1809. 1809. 1809. That's crazy. No, that's like insane. That, you know what that takes is that supernatural. That takes something that cannot be birthed by the mind or the idea or the strength of man, but something that is birthed by the Spirit of God. And so John Armott sets out with his watchword, the evangelization of the world in one generation. So it's during this whole time that I'm like, what is God going to do with this college campus? I go out to Redding, California for this thing with Heidi Baker, one of their prophets on staff. This is nuts, right? The pro prophetic is so crazy. This guy walks up to me, doesn't know my name, doesn't know where I'm from. He like kind of like rudely did this, <laughs> like pointed at me, I think because my eyes were closed. And he, all he said was, eyes for the nations of the earth. And I'm like, huh? And he says, Bradford College. Oh, I'm in California. I'm like, why does he know about Bradford College? You know, and you got to remember, I just had this insane encounter, right, of seeing John Armott manifesting like a crazy lady, finding his name in my history book, all this stuff. So then I opened my eyes to like, who is talking to me? And why does he know my history? He start, this is what the guy starts saying, and this is what's crazy. Luckily, a friend of mine recorded this whole prophetic word for me. Because years later, when Lou asked me to start the House of Prayer here, and I said no three times, no thank you, no thank you, no thank you. I'm praying for a college campus. I'm praying for Bradford College, for the Student Volunteer Missions Movement. I don't have a heart for Boston. <laughs> Kept saying no. The Lord told me, he said, go, I was on a three-day water fast because it was my last time I was going to tell Lou, nope. <laughs> no. It, it was going to be my last time. The Lord said to me, go back to the Word in Reading. I went and pulled out the Word in Reading, and there was a piece of that Word that I had never heard before concerning Boston. All I heard was everything about Bradford College because I understood it, I identified with it, but as this guy was prophesying over me, he said, eyes for the nations of the earth. You have eyes for the nations of the earth. He said, Bradford College. 
He said, the very place where you stand on that campus is the crossroad for revival to the nations of the earth. He said, as you labor on the college campuses of Boston, I didn't hear that piece, didn't have a heart from Boston. (laughs) As you labor on the college campuses of Boston, it'll be a catalyst for the student volunteer missions movement and the gospel going to the nations of the earth. He began prophesying John R. Mott's word. He prophesied about Jonathan Edwards. He like tied in all this history. And I can remember when I went back to the word and I went, oh, Boston. Because I kept saying to Lou, I was like, no, I'm praying. I have an assignment. I'm praying over this college campus. And Lou kept saying, do you think maybe you can do both? No, I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think so. When I went back to that word and said, okay, what I'm seeing in my spirit is the Lord. It is. Yes and amen. He's called me to pray over this campus. But there's something the Lord wants to bring out of Boston, and I don't fully have a heart for that yet. So at that time, I actually was going to speak at a conference, and I very much was on the track of praying into revival history, student volunteer missions movement. And it was at that time, I have a book called The Ten Greatest Revivals in History, best book ever, 10 Greatest Revivals in History. And I'm leaving my house, and I go up to my desk. To, this is 2003, 2003. I go up to my desk and I go to grab the book and I'm like, I'm going to read out of this book when I go to preach on revival. I go to grab it off my desk. As soon as I, this is the only time it's happened in my entire life. As soon as I lay my hand on the book, I heard the inward audible voice of God saying it wasn't thundering in my room. It literally was thundering inwardly, but I heard the voice of God as clear as day say the greatest revival in the history of man is within your womb. Not my womb the womb of a generation. The greatest revival in the history of man is within your womb. You have to understand, it was during this time, I'm, I'm hearing words from Redding, from Perfect Strangers, this John R. Mott thing. I'm beginning to go, okay, obviously the Lord's eye is upon Boston. And Governor Winthrop, who came aboard the Arabella, and Governor Bradford, and Jonathan Edwards, all of these founders in the faith and fathers of the faith, that their labor and their toil, that what they sacrificed, what they sowed into, that their prayers are eternal. And that as they prayed and contended for New England, that those prayers are still alive. That there is something that he still desires to bring forth. So it's at that period of time that um, they, in 2005, had launched uh, the Justice House of Prayer in D.C., And with that group of people, specifically their assignment at that time was to pray for the ending of abortion. So it's 2006, and we're launching the House of Prayer here in Boston. It's during this time, just to be honest with you, we're doing 40 days, like Central Square, First Baptist Church. How many of you guys know First Baptist Church in Central Square? That place was alive and pumping with worship, 24 hours, literally full bands. We had Will Eifler there. (laughs) Were you 16? Oh, my gosh. Will Eifler's there. 24-hour worship and prayer is happening for the birthing of the house of prayer. Lou's announcing every night, Bethany's launching a house of prayer. And I'm literally on the front row every night going, oh, darn. (laughs) (laughs) I had never been in Cambridge before. Remember, I didn't have a heart for it. I literally, this is how Lou works. So it was in December. I was in D.C. And he was like, okay, we're going to do 40 days, March 1st to April 9th. I come back. I literally come here, Cambridge, for the first time. Never had been to Cambridge before. I drive through Central Square. I see the First Baptist Church. I was like, okay, God, if I can have any location, that's the one I want. Call them. They will not let me rent First Baptist Church. They do not like me. They do not want me to rent it. (laughs) I then proceed, no lie, 
calling every single church and possible facility in the city of Cambridge. Anybody that's from here knows what that's like. You totally know. And then any pastor that I called would literally laugh at me. They'd be like, you want to house 60 people to sleep and shower and do day and night prayer in the city of Cambridge? Ha ha. I mean, I, they weren't laughing at me, mocking me. They were laughing like, you poor pitiful fool. Like, you have no idea the land that you've just entered, and that is an impossibility. So it gets to be like a week before 40 days are starting, right? Remember my initial prayer? Lord, if I could have any building, I want that building. The week before, I call Lou. I'm like, so at what point do we cancel this? <laughs> you have people flying here from all over the U.S. for 40 days, and I don't have a facility. Lou's like, we don't cancel. I'm like, okay, we don't cancel. It's that. <laughs> Anybody know Bob Weiner? Come on. Bob Weiner's in town the week before the 40 days. He literally was like, this is what you do. Offer him this amount of money. Tell them this. Work a deal. He put up the first big chunk of change. Thank you, Bob Weiner. He actually contacted the guy. The guy called me back and was like, hey, Bob Weiner called. I, I don't think he knew who he was before that. Offered this amount of money, all of this stuff. He was like, and I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, when I call Lou and tell him how much we're now going to pay for this, he's probably going to cry. I'm like, Lou didn't agree to that. <laughs> that is not without, in our budget. Long story short, the money comes in. We're in the First Baptist Church for the 40 days. After the 40 days, everybody gets up and goes. Like literally Lou's team all goes back to D.C. I'm left here with two people. Come on, say two people. I'm left here with two people. I have no house to prayer, and I have no housing either. I don't know where I'm going to live. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm starting a house of prayer. Me and my 20-something, something, something self. Have I ever started one before? Kind of, in a church. Uh, like a house of prayer, but it was a church house of prayer. So it was fully funded. That's different. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, I'm here with two people. An MIT open, uh, dorm opens up. We stay in an MIT dorm. A Harvard student says, you can use my apartment. We use her apartment. As we're homeless, I finally find a house for $3,900 a month. 39 denarii, say that. 3900 a month. Mind you, I'm the girl with no income. Hello. I'm not a professional fundraiser. Hate fundraising. And so I had pretty much determined I wouldn't even try it. I, I literally was like, Jesus you're either going to feed us by a, a raven or we ain't eating. Because I'm not soliciting funds. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> if that offends you. $3,900 a month. We move into this house. I can, I'm going to fast forward all of this because it's all insane. I still to this day cannot tell you how I paid the rent on that for an entire year. I'm not exactly sure. I do remember some major national ministry gifts sending me very large checks. And it covering us for a month or two. And then I don't know what happened the next month. I'm not sure about any of it. It's a blur. <laughs> a blur of hardship and panic and difficulty. But, <laughs> but I'm going to tell you this. We had this awful, awful, if any of you ever visited, this prayer room in the basement. It was freezing cold all through the winter. I do remember saying this. I only gave you guys like this much of the prophetic history of like college campuses, student volunteer missions movement, all that. I kept saying to the Lord in that basement, even if you never speak another word to me again, you have spoken clearly enough that I know that this is what I'm called to do, and I will not move. Yes, I prayed that. I did. I prayed it over and over and over again when I didn't know how I would pay $3,900 a month, when I didn't know how I would feed a team, when I actually had to remove people from my team because they weren't interested in pay, and not, not, I didn't care if they paid, they weren't interested in praying, 
That first year was so difficult, so trying, but the Lord continually spoke. So at the end of that year, I actually make a decision. I'm like, you know what? I know I'm called to pray for the city. That's all I know. I'm just going to get like a one-bedroom apartment. I'm going to downsize this deal. Forget 3900 a month. I'm going to find a little one-bedroom, shut myself up, pray for the city of Cambridge. That's what I'm called to do. In the process of that, my realtor got a hold of me and said, Bethany, I, the one that found me my first house, I know that you're expecting interns. I know you're trying to have a prayer room and all of this. I have this awesome property for you. You could do house of prayer on the first floor, have our interns upstairs. I say, oh, no, 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 I'm downsizing. Thank you very much. I'm not actually doing that plan now. I've decided to wait. Then the woman that owns the house that I was renting, she's also a realtor. She's like, I know what you guys are doing. You have a prayer room in my basement. <laughs> she's like, you, you have interns coming. She's like, there's a property that's being completely got renovated. Lo and behold, any of you that have been to 135 Western Avenue, where we now are, just in all honesty, at that point, I vowed to the Lord. I was paying $3,900 a month. I wanted to pay much less, like $1,500 a month, thank you. It was during that time that I had said to the Lord, unless you speak to me, he provided a trip to me to, uh, that I was able to go for three weeks to here in Germany, got to go to the Moravian Watchtower. The Lord really spoke to me about night and day worship and prayer. A person contacted me during that time and said, what's your, what's your plan for the next season with the House of Prayer? And I said, I'm downsizing. <laughs> That's what I said. I'm, gonna, I'm committed. I'm not moving from my assignment to pray for the city, but I'm downsizing. I don't want the financial burden. This person said, is there any property that's come to your attention? Yeah, one, but I'm not interested in it. <laughs> 135 Western Avenue had been completely gutted and renovated, was completely brand new. It was, it was actually a historical property. This person said, how much do you need up front to secure it? $14,000. Okay, I'll send you a check. I said, oh, no, no, actually, I'm not interested because it's $4,500 a month, and I don't want to be fundraising. Okay, I will cover the first full year for you. So, like, what, $68,000 to be able to, so pretty much at that point, I'm like, okay, I don't have a choice. <laughs> Here I go! <laughs> All of this transpires. We move into 135 Western Avenue. At that time, it was me and one other young lady. So the amount of square footage, but also the overhead financially, I kept scratching my head being like, God, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Like, I'm really not into, I'm going to wrap this up. We're not even getting to, like, us launching a church. That first year that we're in the house, two things happened. One, I had a dream. The Lord showed me that for the next round of interns coming through, he showed me in my dream that I was supposed to bring them to Bradford College. At this time, it was still abandoned and still vacant all of these years. The Lord told me to bring students to Bradford College so that when they came to the city of Boston, they understood what we are laboring unto and what the Lord desires to bring out of this region once more as a student volunteer missions movement and that this, the, the, the Lord has amassed a student population here for that purpose. So the Lord showed me that in my dream, but he showed me in my dream that when I went there, the day that I brought the students there, that a Christian college had owned it and that the Lord had entrusted it to them so it would be pre preserved until the fullness of time. So I have this dream about Bradford College, and also during this time, you know, I, I told the Lord he never had to speak another word to me. Remember I said that in the basement? You never have to speak another word to me again. Well, it was during that time, actually, when we were first in this house that I really kind of began going, God, what is all this crazy stuff with John Armont? Are you really going to do this? Like, this is so off the chart, crazy, insane. It was during that time I had found a book. It's actually called The Evangelization of the World in One Generation by John Armott. I found it on eBay. I had no money, remember? I was the poor girl. 
So I found it on eBay, and I, this was my fleece to the Lord. This is what I said to the Lord. I said, I'm not going to buy this for myself. I have a friend, he, uh, Brian Kim, he has Axe Ministry, Antioch Center for Training and Sending. Now, he didn't have it at the time, but the Lord had started burning in his heart concerning Student Volunteer Missions Movement. So I said to the Lord, I said, I'm going to buy this copy, and I'm going to send it to my good friend. And I said, but if you've truly spoken this word concerning Boston, and you are going to fulfill and bring forth another student volunteer missions movement, would you provide a book for me? I just asked the Lord that. Because you know what I'm like? I'm not going to buy it for myself and assume that God's really going to do this. I'm like, I'm just going to lay it all out, release it before the Lord. That day, I order it. I order it on eBay. That day, I go to my P.O. box. This is insane. I'm like, what? I go to my P.O. box, and I have a package from who else but Lou and Therese Ingle, right? I'm not even thinking it's a book, and not even thinking it's John, a John R. Mott book, and not even thinking it's student volunteer missions. I'm like, oh, I wonder what the package is. I open it up. That very day that I said, if this is truly you, would you confirm it and provide a book for me? In there is the complete works of John Armott and the student volunteer missions teaching that were launched out there and a note from them saying that God is going to redig the wells of revival and there'll be once again a student volunteer missions movement birthed out of the Boston area. So over and over and over again of kind of stepping back and going, obviously there's something much larger, much bigger, much more significant you know, than myself that the Lord desires to do. That's literally, we just, I just brought you guys up to 2007. <laughs> At that time, we didn't even have a public prayer meeting. We wouldn't open up any of our prayer meetings. It was just a company of people gathered together to pray. I'm actually going to close that on this note. It was during that time that I had a lot of major, not, never Lou, not Lou. Lou always encouraged me with what I was doing. A lot of major national ministries, some of them doing amazing things, some of them had a lot of money. Many even people coming and going out of the city of Boston, starting work, starting things. And I had a lot of people criticizing and saying, why are you in a community of people just praying for the city of Cambridge? You really should be doing something. And I remember over and over and over again, I said, I'm not moving until God speaks to me. I'm not going to move out because I'm frustrated. I'm not going to move out because I'm desperate for God to do something. Guess what? I've been raised in the church. I have seen every form of man's ability, of man's desire, of man's unction, and man's strength. All I know is I want to see something like the book of Acts. You know what I'm going to tell you? I'm not saying we've always done it right. By no means, by no stretch of the imagination, it's been weak, it's been pitiful, it's been hard, it's been sometimes desperate. But this is what I'm going to tell you. That little company of people that didn't do fundraising, that didn't go labor trying to build something big and fast overnight, that company of people is still here. I've seen people in this city come and go that have had no longevity, and many of them have actually come and said, how is it that you guys have remained here? If you guys even knew, that's just the, to scratch the surface. When I married my husband, I put a fleece before the Lord basically saying, how do I lead a house of prayer? I ended up getting pregnant right after we got married. My husband was working 80 hours a week. The Lord supernaturally provided my husband's entire income. It's still being provided to this day so that he could be full-time in building the house of prayer with me. That was another one of those times of me saying, God, if this is you, you're going to have to provide we're not going to go out and beat the street for finances. 
Miracle upon miracle upon miracle. But this is what I want to say to you with, with a little snapshot that you've had today. I have not yet seen the fulfillment of what God's put in my spirit. I have not seen it come to pass. And now, right now, you guys are looking at, let's see, 2000 was the beginning with the call. You guys are looking at a 14-year journey with this. But the extraordinary thing is that when we refuse to become offended in delay, when we refuse to put a time frame on when and how God is supposed to fulfill his promises to us, when it becomes about him rather than the prophetic promise coming to pass, rather than the fruit, and I'm going to say this to some of you, when it becomes more about him than what you look like in the eyes of man, whether you look like you're a failure, whether it looks like nothing good is being produced from your life, why don't you get up and get up some unction and do something? If you'll come to the place that you don't care about any of those things, but you know God's given you a promise in your spirit. Some of you, you actually feel as though God has called you to be like another Catherine Kuhlman, an anointing for miracles. Don't give up that, that passion and that desire. Don't move out and being offended with God that he has not endorsed you and moved upon you. Commit your heart and your life to the promise. Just like it says in 1 Timothy, wage a good warfare. It's warfare to see prophetic promises come to pass. And that is why, that is why, oftentimes with prophetic promises, people in the process and in the journey, they're derailed. In places like Boston that have prophetic destiny and calling, that the promises that came through Governor Winthrop and Bradford and Edwards and John Armand, all of those people, that they're still alive. But you know what it is, is we get a company of people and when it does not come to pass and it is not fulfilled the way that we desire and we had hoped, we get derailed. We, we decide I'm gonna find something better to do. I'm gonna occupy my time with something else. I'm gonna do something else that makes me look really successful since this is frustrating. And I don't like God's process, process and his ways and his delays because he doesn't do things quickly. Two things I wanna say to our company of people. Whether Hilltop or J-Hop is your home community, if it's not, I want to say to you, bind your life to the place of prayer. Even if no one else is trumpeting the word that God puts in your spirit, hold on to it. Lock on to it. You know, even when everybody was leaving New England or going to other parts of the country, I said, nope, God has assigned me and he has called me to a geographical location. Let me ask you a question. If I had packed up and gone to California, gone to Fort Mill, gone to Colorado, moved to D.C. when Lou was starting the House of Prayer there because I loved him and loved what he was doing, I would not have been positioned here praying and contending for this geographical location when Lou asked for a house of prayer to be, to be birthed. I would have left my assignment and left my place. But in that place of delay, of remaining until the fullness of time. So I want to say, bind your heart. Pray always and never lose heart. Lock on to prophetic promises and commit yourself to that place even when no one else is cheerleading for you. Secondly, if Hilltop, if J-Hop, is your home community. If this is where the Lord has called you, what I want to say to you is, number one, be of good courage and be of good cheer. Our prophetic history, the way, the miraculous history that God has given us, the way that he has so clearly spoken to us, it is undeniable. And we as a community have to have that posture before the Lord that even if you never speak again, you've spoken clearly enough that we will not move.
we will not move. You have spoken your purpose and your promise, but let us be found like the upper room company in the book of Acts. That prayer is what we value and we esteem above all else. That we are longing for another day of Pentecost where he breaks in with power and an entire city is turned upside down. Let's stand to your feet. God, we ask you, Father, as a community of people, God, ruin us today with high vision. God, we ask that you would stir, God, prophetic promise inside of us. God, I ask, Lord, for every person under the sound of my voice, Lord, that has even been given a prophetic word, whether it even be in their childhood days or in their youth, that they've even forgotten about. God, I'm reminded of so many different things that over the course of time that I had maybe forgotten or laid aside, and then you remind and you stir once again. Lord, I ask, Lord, right now, Father God, for the stirring up of prophetic promises. Lord, that we would remember. Lord, that we would even remind you, that we would meditate upon those things. Lord, right now, we even speak a release of faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, that we would believe your word is yes and amen. Lord, that we would believe that all that you have said will come to pass. God, we ask that you would deliver us from doubt and unbelief. God, every place where we have questioned your word and your promises. And God, we say, Father, we want to believe. We want to believe your word and to stand in agreement with your heart. God, we ask that even as the, those in the book of Acts, Lord, that when you commanded them and said, go tarry and wait there, Lord, as they were obedient to the command to wait, God, we say that we want to be found with hearts that are responsive to you. God, we say in the city of Cambridge, Lord, in, in the Boston area, Lord, that you would find an upper room company, Lord, that would be standing and waiting and crying out, contending and longing, Father, for the inbreak of your kingdom in our generation. I want to encourage every person here to get a journal this week and intentionally say, what has God spoken to me? I don't even care if it's if from, not from the mouth of a prophet. I don't care if it's a verse, Isaiah 49. If God spoke it to you and it awakened faith and a dream in your heart, hold on to that. Many of you might know Banning um, the Jesus culture guy. Before I was friends with him, I walked into an auditorium. He was standing in the front. I walked in the back. He called me out, and he gave me a word that at the time, I was like, that's crazy, insane, and very random. I don't understand that. But now that I'm laboring in Boston, it makes perfect sense for this city. He said, I see literally a globe spinning on your finger. And he said, and with great joy, he said, you're spinning a globe on your finger. And he said, and I actually see that you're like a flame of fire, and the Lord has intentionally contained you. And in one moment, when he breathes upon that flame of fire and he lifts his hands, he said, fire goes around the entire globe. You want to know something? That, that's not me. That's not Bethany Temple. That's what God wants to bring out of the Boston region. Do you know that Derek Prince actually prophesied? Derek Prince, when he was a resident in England, he actually prophesied and said that he saw a map of the United States of America. He saw Massachusetts. He saw a flame of fire erupt out of Massachusetts, and it instantaneously encompassed the entire globe. The nations of the earth have gathered in Boston, and it's for the purpose of his glory and his fame going to the ends of the earth. And I want to encourage you that whether it's here or another location, whatever it is that God has envisioned and impregnated your heart with faith and hope for, 
like the exhortation in Timothy, that you would wage a good warfare with the prophecies concerning you and not let go. Amen? Amen, amen. We're officially... You guys are officially dismissed. If anybody needs prayer,